Oh, thank you so much. It is so wonderful to be with you all this morning. Our passage this morning is in Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27. I'm going to read it from the message version. This is what Jesus says. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them out into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. I want to speak to you this morning about how because of Jesus, we can have confidence over uncertainty. Jesus longs for us to know a confidence in the uncertainty of all that is going on in life. Perhaps you face uncertainty right now. Perhaps in your health. Perhaps in your job, in your career, in the future. Perhaps in a relationship, your finances, or maybe you're just feeling the weight of Brexit uncertainty and economic uncertainty, environmental uncertainty. Perhaps you just feel a bit anxious about what tomorrow might hold. Jesus longs that we would have a confidence in the midst of uncertainty. He longs that we would place our life on him, the rock. To build our lives on the rock, the first thing that we need to do is to be confident in the ways of Jesus, the ways that he taught us to live. See, Jesus had been going around teaching and embodying what it means to follow God. And he invites us to imitate that, to live as people who follow him, who trust that his ways are higher than our own ways. But I don't know about you, but I can find it really difficult sometimes to follow how Jesus has taught us to live or just to even sometimes do what people have told me to do. I always feel like I can know a better way of doing it or a good reason not to do it. Particularly when it comes down to people telling me at what speed I should drive. Now this has become a bit of a problem for me. Um, it culminated in me getting a speeding ticket driving on my way to church. Now I know... None of you will have ever have done that because you are far better people than me. But I eventually ended up a speed awareness course. And after that, I just thought, you know what? I should probably stop driving for a little bit. Uh, we moved to London and instead I became a really terrible cyclist because no one can stop you riding a bike. Um, and, but then eventually, after a little while, my husband and Andy had a baby and we thought, you know, we probably do need to get a car. So I saw it as, a, as an opportunity for a new leaf to turn a page, to be someone who follows the highway code, who does everything that I'd learned on my speed awareness course. And this has been going great for a number of months. Until the other week, someone came up to me from HGB in the middle of the bit where we're all chatting and said, excuse me, do you drive a black Mini? And I thought, oh dear, this is, this is not good. I said, yeah I, yeah, I do. And she said, you nearly ran me over this week. I said, no. She said, yes. Once near High Street Kensington, and a second time near Holland Park. <laughs> I said, no, are you sure it was me? She was like, well, do you drive around there? I said, I do, but there are loads of black minis. Are you sure it was me? And she said, well, does your husband have a big beard and glasses? 
And I said, he does. I am so sorry. I was so devastated. And then she said, yeah, he was the one driving the car. <laughs> and it's terrible, but deep inside I went, yes! <laughs> I am the better driver. Me and my husband are still working on learning to put into action all we have learned about the highway code and about speed awareness. But imagine, I wonder in London, if every driver suddenly started to follow the highway code properly. Every truck, every cyclist, every moped. London would be transformed, because it is chaos out there right now. But then it also made me think, imagine if you and me, if all of us actually put into practice the teachings of Jesus. It would change our lives and it would transform London. Imagine if we actually chose forgiveness over resentment. Imagine if we actually chose love over hate, generosity over greed, humility over selfishness, kindness over anger. Imagine if we put it in to practice on a Monday morning. It would change this city. And that's what Jesus' vision is for the church. That's his vision for you and me, that we will be people who live out the ways he's called us to teach. But I want to ask you this morning, are you confident in the ways of Jesus? Are you confident in the way he's asked us to live? Are you confident in what he teaches? Or do you, like me, so often think, well, I think I know a better way. I think I know an easier way, a more convenient way, a less costly way. I think I know better what I want and I think I know quicker ways of getting it. Are we confident that God's ways are higher than our ways? That the ways of integrity, of righteousness, of living like Jesus, perhaps when we're surrounded in a work culture or at home or in a friendship group where people are doing the exact opposite. When I reflect on my life, I can see there's so many ways in which I fall short of this vision that Jesus paints for us to live. So often I choose my own way, but Jesus says that this is like building on sand. It may seem quick, it may seem easy. There may be some short-term wins, but he warns us there are long-term devastating consequences. Ultimately, for me, I think I often choose to go my own way because I don't put my confidence in Jesus. I place my confidence in other things. A number of months ago, um, I started to apply for various different fundings that I could do some studying. And at the same time, myself and my husband had started um, planning to have a family. And all my plans were kind of coming together and... um, I remember this one week where I received an email in my inbox saying, um, congratulations, you've got an interview, a Skype interview uh, for some funding to be able to do your studies. I was like, brilliant. And the same week, um, my husband and I found out that we were pregnant. And I was so excited. It was my first pregnancy and um, my parents themselves hadn't been told they weren't able to have children. So I was an only child, so I had wondered whether we'd be able to. So I was really, really excited about this new season. And then I, uh, two weeks later on a Monday morning, I had this Skype interview and there was two kind of scary professors kind of asking me questions about all the work that I'd submitted. And if I'm honest, it was perhaps the most embarrassing kind of 15 minutes I'd had. 
See, I didn't really know any of the answers to the questions they were asking me because I'd meant to have read all my work, but that weekend, instead, I'd spent most of it in A&E, having what um, the doctors thought was a miscarriage. So by the time I came to this interview, I was completely thrown. I was still feeling really ill. And I remember just that sense of dread filling me as I felt all my plans and all my hopes slipping away. A week later, I got an email confirming, you haven't got the funding. And I got a call from the doctor saying, I'm afraid you have had a miscarriage. And I remember in that season afterwards, just thinking and wondering and questioning all these good plans that I'd had. But I really sensed God asked me quite a difficult question. I sense him saying, where have you put your confidence? See, I think if I'm honest, I started to put it in my own success, my own sense of identity, of achievement, of where I was going, sense of being able to have a family. And these aren't bad things to want, but they make for terrible foundations. I felt God saying, will you trust me? Will you put your confidence in me? Will you trust my timing? Will you trust my plans? Will you lean on me? So often I think it's easy for us to put our confidence in things other than Jesus. To put our confidence in our career and where we're going on whether we're getting married or having children or having grandchildren. To put our confidence in how people perceive us, our capacity, our gifts, rather than putting them in Jesus. Jesus longs for us to put our confidence in him. Maybe even this morning you're you know, planning for things, you've got hopes, you've got dreams, things you're working towards. And perhaps you can feel tempted to do things your own way, to go your own route, to give up on following Jesus in pursuit of whatever it is that you desire. Perhaps you're hoping to meet someone to get married. Perhaps you're in a career and you'd love to get promoted, but it's a real dog-eat-dog environment and you don't know how being a Christian and being successful can really work. Perhaps you're saving, trying to build for something, and you don't quite understand how a call to generosity, to selflessness, fits within that. I want to encourage you this morning to put your trust in Jesus, to not give up on his ways, to be confident that his ways are higher than our ways. See, God can do something remarkable when we build our lives on the rock that is his teaching. He can build things that we could never build. He can open doors that we could never open. But do we have confidence in his ways? Firstly, we can be confident in Jesus' ways, the way he teaches us to live. And secondly, we can be confident in who Jesus is. This parable that we have this morning makes more sense when we put it in the context of a conversation Jesus has a few chapters later. He's chatting with one of his disciples, Peter, and he asks um, him this. He says to Peter, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. 
This passage helps us to make sense of the parable about what it means to build a life on the rock, to have confidence over uncertainty. To build our life on the rock is to build a life on our faith in Jesus. It's to have this rock-like faith that Peter has. See, this confession that Peter makes, this declaration about the truth of who Jesus is, is the rock that Jesus will build on. And in our lives, when we trust Jesus, when we put our confidence that he is who he says he is, God can build remarkable things. Jesus loves to build on our faith. We find Jesus is now the wise builder, building on the rock that is our faith through the church. And it's amazing because what he says is that the church will be unstoppable when they believe in who I am. There's something unstoppable about you, about me, when we trust Jesus and take him at his word. There's something unstoppable about you when you put your confidence, your whole life's confidence in him. No power of hell, no scheme of man can stop it. See, Peter answered this question, who do you say I am? And he didn't say, well, Jesus, you know, you're a nice teacher, good teacher, quite entertaining, five out of five. He didn't say, well, Jesus, you're a nice guy, you can do great miracles, you're great with bread and fish. He didn't say that. He said, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. There's no other more amazing way Jesus could have described, Peter could have described Jesus. See, the Messiah was the one that Israel had been longing for, the one spoken about in the Old Testament. Israel were hoping and waiting and praying for someone to come and liberate them from oppression. They were under oppression by the Roman Empire. And so Peter's probably saying, Jesus, you're the one who's gonna set us free. And it's true, and that's what Jesus came to do, but in a far greater way than most people realize. See, Jesus didn't come to save one group of people from one particular enemy at one moment in history. He came to redeem and liberate all of humanity throughout all of history from our greatest enemy. The enemy of evil, of sin, and of death. That's what Jesus came to overcome. And when we trust Jesus that he isn't just a good teacher with some top tips for my life, or he isn't just a, a wise guru or maybe an interesting character in history, when we trust that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he is the one who came so that we might have a relationship with God and know a life to the full, that he came that we might know that death is not the end, but there is a life after this because of him. When we trust that, we become unstoppable as his church. Who do you say Jesus is? Your answer to that question is one of the most important answers you could ever give. See, we find in this parable that there's storms for everyone. There are moments in our lives, and there will be for you and will be for me, where the tornado comes, the rains come, the streams rise, where storms hit where everything seems contested. And in that moment, our answer to that question of who Jesus is will be the difference between a, a house built on the rock and a house built on the sand. Storms are inevitable. And I think sometimes it's easy to think, you know, following Jesus will somehow negate the storms. We really want Jesus to say, if you follow me, you'll never have a bad day. That's what we'd love. 
I know for me, I um, became a Christian at 13 years old. My parents weren't Christians. They'd never gone to church. They kind of were hippies, actually, in London. Sex, drugs, rock and roll for a number of years. And so I started going to a youth group and put my confidence in Jesus, put my trust in him. And within the year after, my mum died of cancer. And I remember at that point questioning everything, questioning life, why we're here, but in the middle of all the questions, there was something undeniable about the presence of God. It was like I couldn't ignore him. It was like in a massive devastation of all that had gone on, he was this rock that I couldn't ignore. There. I sensed his presence in times of singing and worship. I sensed his presence whilst praying. And I sensed a peace that seemed completely illogical to my situation. And it was in the years after my dad had really struggled with depression, that relationship became really difficult, that I began to see God restoring that relationship, God restoring hope, God rebuilding my life. But then, if I'm honest, I probably had quite a, a fear of the C word, of cancer. Still lived in fear of that. And then this summer, I felt everything kind of being contested again. I found myself going back to the hospital where my mum had died and this time I was visiting my dad, who'd been told he had cancer. It was a type of blood cancer that was high grade, fast spreading, and had moved very quickly. Within a few weeks, um, he had been at HTV here to see our, our daughter being baptized, and a couple of weeks later he was in intensive care, and doctors weren't sure whether they'd be able to give him chemotherapy. I remember that point starting to think, God, I feel like I've been through enough. Surely not again. Like, God, I, I work for church. Like, I read the Bible in one year. I serve on Alpha. Like, surely I shouldn't be experiencing any more storms. I think we can tell ourselves that, can't we? I'm following you, Jesus, so surely there won't be a storm. But the parable tells us that there will. There's no guarantees about tomorrow. The only guarantee is who he is, that he is faithful, that he is trustworthy, that he is strong enough for all our pain and all our problems and all our hurt. So one morning we were getting ready to go to church and I had a phone call from the nurse and she said, I'm really sorry, but um, I think you should come visit your dad. Um, he's going into organ failure and it's not looking good. So we texted a number of our friends and um, we said, please, please pray for him. Please pray that something would change, that he would be healed. And we drove, we made the four hour drive up to Hull Hospital. As I got there, the nurse um, who rang me found me and she said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, but um, your dad started to improve. I said, you're sorry? I was like, that's great news. But she felt so bad that I'd made this huge journey and she, you know, she kind of made me feel quite anxious. And I said, what? And she said, he's just started to turn around. All his stats are picking up. It doesn't seem like he's going into failure. He's like, come round, he's quite lucid, like you should go say hello. So I walk in, I'd kind of been planning all these profound final things that I say to my dad and walk in with my husband and my dad's sister and my dad's like, what are you doing back? And I was like, well, just thought we'd say hi, you know. Great day, isn't it? And from then, ever since, my dad started to get better and better and better. Yeah, praise God. Um, so last week, or two weeks ago, we had the final round of chemo and the consultants can't believe their eyes. For all intents and purposes, he's a walking miracle. He's back home and it looks like he's cancer-free, so. Amen. Mm -hmm. 
I think it's been amazing for me to see how God does move. He still moves today. But if I'm honest, there's still a tension in me that a question of, well, why did God answer prayers for one parent and not the other? Why does God allow some storms and not others? What do we do with this uncertainty in which we live? The thing Jesus tells us is that storms will come. It's almost as guaranteed. But he says, I will be the rock in the storm that you can rely on. I am the one who is the same yesterday and forever. I am unchanging. I am faithful and you can put your trust in me. Who do you say Jesus is? When we put our trust in him, we can have a confidence over any uncertainty that life may throw us. And I love the fact that Jesus describes following him like living on the rock. Because I think if I look back over my life and over difficult times, I've thought, God, where are you? I think when we're stood on something solid, we don't really think about it, do we? Suddenly, if the earth gave way, I'd probably notice it. But constantly, we're standing on something solid. And when I look back over my life, I think, it was the fact I kept standing proved that you were there, Lord. Often, we can't see the foundation. We can't see what God is doing. We can't see how he's at work, but he's there, a rock. And sometimes, I think, we can often think, perhaps, almost Jesus is like a bit fragile, a bit sensitive, He can't handle our doubts or our questions. But Jesus says, I am the rock. You can throw at me your questions. You can throw at me your doubt. You can throw at me your fears. I am the rock. I will still be there. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're facing storms, you can lean on the rock. You can lean on the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can lean on the one who is faithful. There's a strength to be found in the storm, a confidence in the uncertainty, and his name is Jesus. Will we be confident in his ways? Will we be confident in who he is? And will we be confident that he is with us through it all?